here for the first time. My name is John. I'm the pastor of the Gathering Place Church. We are in a new season at our church. God's just doing a new thing. I was uh, telling somebody recently about how God impressed on my heart that uh, a book has closed and a brand new book has been opened. You go through seasons in life and uh, our first run was a great run. A lot of people got saved. A lot of people got healed. A lot of people came to Jesus. A lot of people have tremendous testimonies, a whole bunch of testimonies on our website. But God showed me that a book has been closed and a brand new book has been opened for our next run together. And that I was writing on the, that I'm writing on the first page, our story. And then the next morning, an intercessor, somebody who prays a lot, called me and said, I was praying for you and I saw a vision of you, a picture of you, and you were opening up a brand new book and you were writing on the first page. So that's about us as a congregation. But what I've learned historically, I've been pastoring for about 30 years now, is that God does corporate things. And when you're under a covering, a spiritual covering, God works within a spiritual community in, in unique ways. But there are also individual destinies. Uh, and so I don't doubt that there are many of you who feel like you're entering a brand new season. And it's not just a feeling. It's not just a phrase that you throw out there lightly. But that you're entering a new season, God's doing a new thing. Uh, some of you may be right in the middle of some pain, and I promise you, I'm telling you, there's a new season coming on the other side of that pain. We were out to dinner last night with uh, Kirsten and Bruce Clegg, and um, they actually said this to me before I shared what I just shared with you, that God has said to them, we are literally just breaking into a brand new season, and God has already done some things where they, they uh, just got a new home. Their first home, right? No, not your first home. But they just got a home. Bruce just got a new job. What's that? And um, it was evidence of some fruit of what I'm prophesying, that it's really real. And so uh, take heart. Have hope. God is the God of hope. That's his name in the Bible, the God of hope. So I bless you and I pray and prophesy the God of hope over you, the hope of God. The hope of God is not, this isn't my message, but I feel like I'm just speaking from the Holy Spirit right now. The hope of God is not necessary if you have your own hope that's enough to accomplish what it is that's in your heart. The hope of God comes when there is no hope. And he produces something that you just cannot see in the natural. That's our God. Amen? Amen. So this morning, let me jump in because I'm, uh, or the, the clock is my enemy. So this morning, I'll get that for you. Well, in a charismatic church, people just get crazy. They just, they just, they just rip chairs apart and do all sorts of. You can, if we get if we get kicked out of the school, it's your fault. All right. and we don't shame people in our church either. All right. So today, I want to teach on cultivating a worshiping heart. As we go into the season of worship, which is what Christmas is, Christmas, Christmas, worshiping Christ, in the hustle and bustle, we can lose the whole meaning of the season, which is worshiping Jesus. Amen? So today I want to teach on worshiping or cultivating a heart of worship. I want to begin with a couple of statements that I believe are the bedrock of worship. And that is this, worshiping God springs forth from the revelation of how much God loves us. That's where worship comes from. How many of you know the, the Jewish clarion call, 
Love the Lord your God with, say with me, all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. It's said differently in a couple of different places, so they kind of move those words around, so I know what I'm talking about. Whenever I hear that or read that, I always feel like a failure because I don't love God with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, and all my strength, and neither do you. We want to. Are you telling me every thought you have is godly? Every emotion you feel toward everybody is always just full of love. And when somebody cuts you off the freeway, you think, I just love you. So when we sing songs like that, I love it with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I have conflict within myself because I think I don't and I should. How many of you should on yourselves every once in a while? S-H-O-U-L-D. Yeah. Yeah, our rule around here is we do not should on ourselves or one another. Christianity is not a should religion. Christianity is a responsive relationship to the love of God. I want to say that again. Christianity is a responsive love to the love of God. I want to, I want to, this next phrase, another foundational truth, I believe, is the core of worship, is the, the degree to which you understand how much God loves you is the degree to which you will worship him. This is so critical that you, you get this. Because otherwise, your relationship with God will be trying to perform to get God's love, to get God's approval, to get God's acceptance. And so it becomes a religion, which Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a relationship, a friendship with the living God who loves you when you don't deserve it. And so Christianity is not about trying to love God. I really want you to hear these phrases and let them sink down into your heart and let it transform and shape you. Christianity is not about trying to love God or trying to earn God's love. Rather, Christianity is loving God back. God loves us, and it literally produces this involuntary, spontaneous love back. Like, for example... When I tell the kids, hey, kids, we're going to have root beer floats tonight after dinner. And they all go, right? And inevitably, Josiah always comes up to me and goes, I love you, Dad. I love you, too. And I'm thinking, you little puke. (laughs) But that's how we are with God, isn't it? You see... Your depth and my depth of worship of God is a revelation of his love, but his revelation of his love comes out of the revelation of our neediness. I'm jumping ahead, but grab it. The more you and I learn how needy we are, which is what releases God's grace in our life because we need more of God, then we experience more of God because we need more of God because of our neediness. That's why Paul said, I have learned to rejoice in my weaknesses because that's when I experience the power of Christ. There's no passage in the Bible I know of that explains the dichotomy, the, the gulf between a person who doesn't feel that they have a need for God and a person who knows the depth of their brokenness 
and how Jesus is right in the middle and he's available to both. And I want to read this passage today. I'm going to share some thoughts out of it. And then hopefully God, by the Holy Spirit, is going to cultivate in us today a greater, broader, deeper heart of worship. And then if I leave some airtime, we'll have Josh come up and we'll worship just a little bit before we leave here today. Because I really want this to be an operation today, not just information. Let's go to Luke chapter 7 and let's read this story together. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to do a great work in our hearts this morning. Luke 7. In Luke 7, beginning in verse 36, then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. Pharisee was a religious ruler of the day, a very rule-driven, rules-driven, cold-hearted, legalistic, shaming, spiritual leader, a Pharisee. One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to eat with him, come to my house. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, some believe she was a prostitute, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. I'm going to try to get through this. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now, when the Pharisee who had been invited saw this, he spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who's touching him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. That's when you know you're in trouble. So he said, teacher, say it. You know, he hasn't called him Lord yet, hasn't called him Messiah, hasn't called him Master. He's, he's curious about who Jesus is. He doesn't know at this point whether he is to oppose Jesus, support Jesus, or if he can win Jesus to his side as a religious leader. He knows Jesus is influential, has a following. That's why he's invited him to his house. It's a political move. Let's see who this cat really is. So Jesus is failing the prophet test right now in the eyes of this religious leader. And Jesus knows that's what he thinks. So Jesus says, There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. Now, Pharisees and scribes love uh, enigmas and stories and riddles to figure out. So Jesus is giving him one. He's speaking his language to him. I want you to know right now that Jesus is trying to save Simon as much as he's trying to save the woman. He's trying to build a bridge with this religious leader who doesn't think he has a need for the forgiveness of his sins. Who feels superior to this woman who's a piece of trash that's on the floor. So Jesus is trying to reach the up and hour and the down and outer at the same time. We all need Jesus. Everybody. Jesus isn't trying to get snippy with Simon. He's trying to speak his language so he can build a bridge and draw him to himself so Simon can be saved too. 
There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owned one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely, everybody say freely. Yeah, see, that's, that's, that's Christianity right there. Freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? You see the issue here? It's love. It's spontaneous worship of the living God. What motivates us to worship God? Jesus has given us the key, the equation right here. Forgiveness of debt, forgiveness of sin, a debt we could not, cannot pay. Which of them will love him more? He's trying to break Simon out of his religiosity, out of his performance religion. He's trying to shatter that thing and get to the real matter of Christianity, which is love. God loves us, so we love God. Simon answers and says, I suppose the one who forgave more. And he said to him, now he's feeling really good about himself because he got the answer right, which was his whole world was getting the answers right. You have rightly judged. That's right. <sighs> yeah. Simon's feeling really good about his pharisaical self right now. He answered the rabbi's question. He solved the riddle. Once I get another point, I get another score. I'm now even more superior than this piece of trash that's on the floor right now. Me and the rabbi, man, we're getting along. Yeah, it's good because my friends are here too. All my pharisaical religious friends, the superior, judgmental, critical friends who wouldn't let a sinner touch them within a 10-mile radius. Yeah, I'm kind of liking this guy. He's making me look good in front of my friends right now. But the story's not over. Simon Anderson said, I suppose you get the answer right. Verse 44, then he turned to the woman. So he kind of turns his back to Simon a little bit, repositions himself, and he looks at the woman and says, do you see this woman? Yeah, sure do. I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, which was customary to do. It's just polite. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, which is customary. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head, which was customary. With oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he turned to her and said, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say within themselves, who is this that can forgive sins? They're totally missing Christmas. Did you know that Jesus loves Democrats and Republicans and even Greenpeace people? I mean, yeah, well, I call them Greenpeace. And and PETA and the EPA and racists. He loves everybody. We don't, but he does. And that's that's the that's the part that's the, that's our problem. So we need to get the heart of Jesus, which he's trying to get across here. Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I want to give us a couple thoughts here. I'm just amazed at Jesus' comfort level with a worshiping sinner who's literally worshiping, washing his feet with her tears 
and wiping them with her hair at the dinner table. How comfortable would you be with that? That's a little awkward, isn't it? Have a woman down at your feet crying and washing, I mean, washing your feet with her tears and wiping her your feet with her hair you're like what is and at the same time at the same time this is going on he's initiating a Q&A question with a self-righteous pharisee across the table from him he was comfortable being worshiped and judged at the very same time he's just as cool as a center seat of a cucumber man i mean he's just just unmoved, just completely unbothered by this whole situation. I want to say to you, it does not matter who you are or how far from God you are. You are not too far for Jesus. He came to seek and save sinners, not seek and judge. If he was going to judge you, you would have already been judged and blown apart like a $2 watch. I mean... If God releases judgment on us right now, poof, we would just all disintegrate. He's not seeking and judging. He's seeking and saving. But why do you think Jesus was so comfortable with both of them? What was it about Jesus that enabled him to be so anchored that he could be sitting around a table with a bunch of judgmental religious Pharisees who are condemning Jesus in their heart and he knows it. At the same time, have a sinner, a prostitute, touching him, which makes him unholy according to the Pharisees who are sitting across from him. And he's totally cool with his whole environment. He's not moved at all. Why do you think that was? I believe it was because Jesus was eternally secure in the Father's love. He did not need her worship, and he couldn't care less about Simon's judgment. Neither moved him. How many of you would like to be like that? Come on. Come on. Seriously. We, out, we try to perform for people all the time. We are, we are so needy for affirmation and love and our self-esteem our self-worth and our significance that we just bend ourselves into pretzels just for people to think we're wonderful because we fell from the presence of god and lost our identity lost our sense of purpose our significance who we are why are we here where are we going oh i got the answer we came from monkeys you see we're just we're just grasping and searching and coming up with ridiculous answers Jesus knew where he came from, who he was, why he was here, and where he was going. Came from the Father, going to the Father. I have an assignment why I'm here. So, Simon, your ridicule of me does not move me at all. And this prostitute touching me doesn't move me at all either, other than I love the worship that she is exhibiting right now. Because that's why we were all created, was to worship God. His self-worth, his identity, his self-esteem, his purpose in life were found securely and solely in God's love. So he could focus on what God was doing, not what people are doing. You and I today identify with one or the other or little of both. We know we're sinners, but at the same time, boy, we can get superior and arrogant in our attitudes toward those around us, can't we? It's just just funny how the more money we make, the more degrees we have, the more trophies we get, 
the better clothes and house and car that we have, the places we've been, the things we've accomplished. I don't know why. For some reason, I remember when I was so broke, I couldn't pay attention. I mean, our business was going under. My brother had a nervous breakdown. I was the only employee left in the company. We could not pay rent at the end of the month. That is stress like I've never known before. And then God does a miracle. Our, our company prospers. I'm in magazines. I'm on television giving our testimony of what God did in our business. And I always had a bunch of cash in my pocket. And I remember being in church. I remember this moment. And somebody didn't have enough money to pay rent. And this thought went through my mind. What a loser. And I thought, dang, seriously? Where did that come from? I don't know. Many times we think our self-worth equals our net worth. That's why Jesus says where your money is, that's where you're going to find your heart. Money is a God that just wants our worship, that buys our needs and our greeds, and we just feel superior. Maybe your skin color, maybe your education, maybe your family you came from, maybe what part of city, the city you live in, your heritage, whatever it is. And I, you know, in Philippians chapter 3, Paul talks about his pedigree, his heritage. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He made this guy look like a beginner. The apostle Paul, I mean, he was wealthy, he was powerful, he's politically connected at the top of the religious food chain. And once he met Jesus Christ, he said, I count all of that horse manure. I mean, in, in the Greek, it was literally a more crass word than that. Paul said, I count all of my accomplishments as poop compared to knowing Jesus Christ. Woo, man, is that awesome? But we can find ourselves getting caught back up in the rat race and getting our worth from something other than God's love for us. Can't we? Talking about cultivating a heart of worship this morning. Look at this guy. Goes to church every day, Simon, the Pharisee. Studies the Torah daily. Tithes. Prays. Is ceremonially clean. No sinners ever touched him. Yet he did not know or share the love of God, which was his only purpose as a religious leader. He had done the very thing God had called him to do as a spiritual leader, nor had he taught others to do it, which is to cultivate a heart of worship. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. What did he do? Simon cultivated a religion of rules and shamed and controlled others who couldn't measure up. What did she do? She simply loved God back. Here's a guy building a ladder to heaven, and she crawls up through the cellar and beats him. That really irritates religious people. Remember, the, the, remember the, if you don't know Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son? The good son stays home and follows all the rules, and the prodigal son goes out and acts like a pig. And when he comes home, the dad throws a party, and the older son got really, 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 really mad. Because he thought that he gained his father's love by obeying all the rules. And yet the father's love was equal for both of them the whole time. He was just happy that his son came home. He said to his older brother, I'll throw a party for you anytime you want. I believe based on her custom, 
of the custom of the time. Her intent was simply to anoint his feet with oil because you assumed that he came in and Simon had already had somebody wash his feet, had already kissed him on his face and welcomed him to his home, had already put oil on his hair, uh, just a little bit for perfume's sake, because you're walking across dusty roads in your sandals and you perspire and all that. So you come in, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's the same as somebody comes to your home, you invite them for Christmas, but you don't greet them at the door. You don't hug them. You don't shake their hand. You don't tell them where to put their coat. You just kind of like they just invite them over and just kind of leave them without, without all the, you know. So here she is, and she realizes she, this guy is the Messiah, and she goes down to anoint him, but she starts to cry, and she sees a tear hit his feet, and she notices that his feet haven't even been cleaned yet. I just feel honestly that's, that, that, that can be us. You can walk with Jesus so long that he just becomes familiar and we lose our worship. We don't, we come in here late. We come in here not really even paying attention. It's like a duty or whatever. I don't know where you or I are at any given time, but we just forget what it was like when Jesus called us when we were going to hell and Jesus wooed us and he moved on us by his spirit and he called us to himself and we would cry on his feet and wash his feet and and dry them with our hair, but after a while, it just kind of like becomes, you know, just we just lose our worship if we're not if we're not careful, remembering what God did for us and what He does for us and where we're headed, and we didn't deserve any of it. And for her to be able to wash His feet with her tears, I mean, it wasn't one of those Hollywood one tears, right, that come down the cheek. She's washing His feet with her tears. That's crying. That's I don't know a better picture of worship in the entire Bible. Doesn't even care about her hair. What woman do you know that's in church that doesn't care about her hair? When I go to lay hands on a woman's hair, I try to do it carefully. Maybe Because I know that if I crunch her hair with my big bear paw, she's probably going to disconnect from receiving healing because she's thinking about her hair. That's why a lot of times I put it on her neck or on the face or I, you know, or do Mark's claw thing, you know, he goes like this. Have you ever noticed that when Mark prays for the sick, he does this claw thing? I don't... Man, Jesus spit in somebody's face once, so I guess everybody's got their style, but. And don't think the claw's what does it, okay? So don't be like starting the claw party or something, or everywhere you go, you start doing the claw. That's. That's him and Jesus. That's the way he does it. You see, when people don't understand why you, as a worshiper of Jesus, give money to the church, why you pray, why you worship, why you hold godly values. Like I remember going through my 20s celibate. I was accused of being gay. I was accused of of being uh, uh, just androgynous. I was accused of being weird. I was accused of... People could not understand. Guys in their 20s cannot understand why another guy in his 20s is not having sex. And why he's not having sex until he gets married. It's because I believe... Because I'm following Jesus. And I, I understand that sex is to be celebrated. See, the world perverts sex... Religion shames sex, but God celebrates sex in marriage. He gave it as a gift to a husband and a wife. 
So I wanted to hold that. And the Holy Spirit sustained me because you need the Holy Spirit to sustain you if you're going to stay celibate until you get married. But thank God, thank God, Hope and I remained celibate with one another until we got married. And, and now 21 years later that we have that as part of our part of our knowledge base that we saved each other we saved ourselves for one another if you haven't god can configure give you and cleanse you you can start fresh today but people when people don't understand why you have these kind of values it's simply because they have not been touched by jesus the way you have that's all it is that's all it is simon could not understand how this woman could 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 uh be so undignified I mean, you understand his whole world was image. And she is completely, completely unconcerned about her image. She's just worshiping the God who forgave her for her sins. And he cannot understand how someone could behave like that in public. Simply because he had not been touched by Jesus the way she had. So don't ever be ashamed of your lifestyle and your belief system and what you do because you've been touched by Jesus Christ. Nobody's going to shame me out of it. I was touched by him. So you can't undo that. See, our sacrifices are not duty, but devotion. Our worship is not getting, but giving. She wasn't wanting anything from him. She was giving back to him. Oh, man. Oh, man, I just hope this sinks so deep inside your spirit today that it just revolutionizes your walk with God. Simon didn't think that he needed Jesus, at least not as much as this sinner. You see, when we compare ourselves with others, we usually come out looking pretty good, especially if you can find somebody who's uglier, fatter, poorer, and more destitute than you are, right? You just, you just find somebody who's, who's a bigger loser than you are and just hang out with them and you feel good about yourself. Now, I'm being a little facetious, but when we find somebody that we think is more broken than we are, more pathetic than we are, or again, you get into the race thing, if you think you're better because of your skin color or because of your economic status or because of your political identification or whatever it may be that makes you feel more superior than others and then you buy it you become a simon who doesn't understand that any time that you and i think that we are superior to another human being we have lost touch with the grace of God. Seriously, we've lost touch with the grace of God. We should all, excuse my graphic illustration, but I'll, I'll pretend like I'm Mark for a second. We should all be flushed down the toilet. That's something Mark would say. So I just want him to feel comfortable in church. We lose touch with the grace of God when we actually think there's anything about us in ourselves that is praiseworthy outside of the grace of God. You see, this is what I believe. We're, I'm going to close this up and give me 10 minutes. We're going to close this up. Your worship of God will be in direct proportion to your revelation of the love of God 
But the revelation of the love of God will be in direct proportion to the revelation of your need for God. Are you guys catching this? Simon thought that Jesus would be proved to be a prophet if he knew who the woman was that he was allowing to touch him. What Simon didn't realize was Jesus was passing the test with flying colors. Because not only did he know the woman's sins, he knew Simon's sins, which were worse than the woman's sins. Self-righteousness is the worst sin that there is. Did you know that? Simon thought that pride was better than sex sins. Like if you're going to compare the two. Okay, I might be a little prideful in my religiosity because, you know, I do tithe, I do pray, I go to do to church. She's a prostitute. Are you serious? And as he's doing this, Jesus, which Simon doesn't even know, is a bigger sinner than the prostitute. Could you imagine if Jesus just said that to him? He said it in a very nice allegorical way. He could have just said, Simon, you're a bigger sinner than she is, you prideful thing. This is a good sermon, isn't it? (laughs) Our goal is to be like the prostitute, not the Pharisee. Now, watch somebody take that sentence out of context and post it. The pastor at the Gathering Place Church says. You see, Jesus has not come for the righteous, but for the sinners. One writer said, worship is for sinners. Sinners are the only ones who know the forgiveness of God. And what is Christmas all about? Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild. Boom, there's Christmas. God and sinners brought back together again through his gift, Jesus. It's the awareness of our sinfulness in conjunction with the knowledge of God's forgiveness that stimulates our worship. I remember when I was, went to Catholic school, I was raised Catholic, I went to an old guy Catholic high school. I was a freshman, I was the youngest kid of a pile of six Roman Catholics. So they assumed I knew everything that I was supposed to do as a Catholic, but there's a lot of rules to learn. So I, they didn't realize that it all just kind of went by me. So when I ended up in high school and I go into chapel, I didn't know why we were here, because I went to public school and then I ended up in a Catholic school. And I'm sitting in chapel and all my friends are going behind, going through that door over there and then coming back out. And I don't know what they're doing back there. So it's my turn. So I go back there and I sit in front of the principal of the high school who was a priest. And he said, okay, John, what sins have you committed since the last time you were in confession? And I looked at him. I promise you this is a true story. And I said, none. I had no awareness of sin. And I was one of the worst kids in the high school. 
putting gum in the, in the, in the teacher's door knob so they couldn't unlock the door. You shove gum up in there, you know, and, you know, breaking into the announcement office and doing announcements over the intercom. And then you have to go mop the floors and, you know, the, and the cafeteria and clean urinals out in the bathroom as penance, you know. I didn't think any of that was sin. I thought it was fun. You do the fun, you get in trouble, and you have a story. Those who are forgiven the most love the most. That's why I love Jesus as much as I do. She was clear about her sinfulness. Okay, I got to wrap this up. Jesus did not come to win arguments but souls. If your goal is to win arguments with people, you're going to lose you're going to blow up the bridge that you could use to lead them to Christ. So what's more important to you, winning an argument or winning a soul? These are really good thoughts, which is why I'm pausing so we don't just run over them. In this environment that we have in our nation right now, I really want this to sink down into all of us. Jesus did not come to win arguments, but souls. What were some of the results of her experience in the love of Jesus? Number one, she was forgiven. Number two, she did not fear man. That's, that, that is freedom like I've never experienced before. Other than my salvation is the freedom of the fear of man. I mean, here's a prostitute who she wasn't invited to the party. And not only did she invite herself and burst into somebody's home, she didn't just burst into anybody's home. She burst into one of the most influential, religious, judgmental, critical, powerful men in Jerusalem or in the city. This prostitute just comes right through his front door, interrupts the dinner party. She couldn't, she was so unaware and could not care less of their judgment because she had met Jesus. Oh, man. Oh, my. She had lived a life of shame in that city. What power is there in the love of God when it strikes your soul? Wow. Talk about a message on breaking shame. Woo. That's a whole message here that I don't have time to preach. Thirdly, she became an extravagant worshiper of God. Okay, now this is the thought I'm going to close with. Christianity is not about how much you achieve, but how much you receive. Christianity is not about how much you achieve, but how much you have received. You will only experience from God what you are willing to freely receive from God. Everything you and I have from God was a gift. And what do, you, what do you have to do with the gift? You just have to receive it, right? Hey, watch this. This is the easiest illustration. I'm only doing a buck because I know I'm not getting it back, okay? 
I have a gift for you, Bruce. See that? That's Christianity. Oh, Christianity would be giving it back? Oh, that's right. Sorry, Bruce. You gave it back. Well, if you're going to do that way, then I have to give you two. There you go. Yeah, because you can't outgive God. There you go. And you pass it on. That's good. All right. I want to make sure I didn't accidentally do a hundred instead of a one. (laughs) I hope not. Look, this is really, really important. This is what I'm going to close with. It's really, really important. If you... If you, through a sense of unworthiness and shame, have a hard time receiving from God, you are going to miss so much stuff, like everything that you don't receive. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Branches are connected to the vine, and the only way they bear fruit and are alive is the sap that comes up through the roots and it just goes out into the vines, into the branches, and the branches just go... They're not trying to make a deal with the vine. They're not promising the vine anything. They're not paying the vine off. They just hang there and they receive the life that comes through the roots up through the, the, the vine out to the branches. And the branches bear tremendous fruit. When we bought our home, the fruit trees were dying out front because of the lack of water. They were just dying there. The kingdom is yours. If you've come to Christ, the kingdom is yours. It's a free gift and everything that's in it, the love of God, the healing of God, the peace of God, the provision of God, the protection of God, it's all a free gift. So, let me tell you what God had me do that really made me a a better receiver. One day I was praying, Josh, you join me. One day I was praying, and I want you to do this exercise. This is going to be a challenging exercise for you as we, as we put a cap on our sermon service today. I, I prayed, Father, your will be done. I was just praying one day, and he said, if you want my will be done, if you want my will to be done in your life, if you want to be in agreement with me, then you have to love yourself because I love you. It shocked me. I'm kind of like, open my eyes. And then he said this to my heart, and you have to love yourself the way I love you, which is unconditionally. You know, we all have, a, we all have this self-hatred working on the inside of us, right? Because we all are aware of our fallenness and our brokenness, and it shames us. Like, it's hard to look at yourself in the mirror, like right in your own eyes and just look at yourself. What is that about? So what I did for about six months was I made myself look at myself right in the mirror, and I said, John, I love you. And what is it that we can't love ourselves? That's weird. And I said, I love you unconditionally. And it was so uncomfortable. You try it. Until I broke through that shame and that self-hate thing. Until I became my own best friend. It was amazing. And once I was able to break that shame, I was able to say to God, okay, here's the phrase. I'm imperfect, but I'm going to let you love me anyway. I'm going to let you love me anyway. And I began to say, yes, I receive 
Yes, I received to the point where some of you have mentioned to me just recently how I say to you, if you're not going to receive the blessings for your life, I will receive yours for me. I'll take your blessing. So I have more to give out. The more you cap, the less you receive. You just got to break the shame and say worship is for sinners. Will you all stand with me this morning? I want you to say this phrase with me, and, I, I, you know, I'm just hoping that you can say it and really embrace it. This is the phrase. I'm going to tell you the phrase, and then I want you to say it. And Josh is going to lead us in a little bit of worship here. He's, got, he's on crutches. Are we allowed to pray for him? Did he come down for prayer? No? Yeah? He didn't come down. We want to pray for him. Okay. If you want us to, we don't have to. Nothing's forced around here. But we see miracles around here. We had, we had a pair of crutches hanging up on the cross here for a number of years. We had a football player from Mount Carmel. Came in here, crutches, prayed for him, completely healed, left his crutches there, rejoined the football team. So, yeah. So, you know, we don't, we don't bat a thousand, but we keep swinging. The phrase is God... I'm going to let you love me anyway. Because remember, to the depth you experience his love is the depth of your worship of God. So will you say that? Say, God, I'm going to let you love me anyway. Amen. It feels good, doesn't it? Do you feel that? Say it again. God, I'm going to let you love me anyway. All right, let's spend just a, just a couple minutes worshiping, and I'm going to release you. Nothing less. Everything and nothing 